This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. This is the Skate Podcast on WEEI.com. Bobby Orr, behind the net, the status, and Orr! Bobby Orr! Orr! For the first time in 39 years, the Boston Bruins have won the Stanley Cup. Talking Bruins and NHL. Sure, old-time hockey. Like it is sure. With writer and producer Brian DeFelice. Brian DeFelice is an emerging talent. Bridget Prue. Yeah, he's a little bit on the hot seat. Burn him! And WEEI.com Bruins writer Scott McLaughlin. Hey, Scott! Lace him up for some bees talk right now. I'm a damn dog! It's the Skate Pod on WEEI. Welcome into episode 78 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian D. Felice, joined as always by Bridget Pru and Scott McLaughlin. Guys, how are we? I'm good. Uh, I have an apology to start with. Ooh. Bridget, how are you doing? <laughs> I thought you were going to just get into it. I want to hear I'll, it. I'll, I'll get into great. it next. <laughs> Thanks for asking. Uh, yeah, so I have remarkable jinx powers, and uh, with that great power obviously comes great responsibility. <laughs> And I just have to say, I did not use them wisely. Um, on Saturday, after the win over Winnipeg, I wrote about how the Bruins have gotten much better at closing out games. They've been a great third-period team in January, uh, one of the best in the NHL. They're doubling up opponents, you know, limiting chances. They're playing aggressively without giving up, a, you know, without trading chances. Uh, really playing the kind of way that like a good team needs to play to close out wins. And uh, since I wrote that, they have been outscored 4-1 to in the third period, <laughs> including blowing a two-goal lead on Wednesday against Colorado. And uh, that game against Colorado, which I think is where we're going to start, uh, they played the exact opposite of how they have been playing in third periods. They played how you do not want to play if you're a good team trying to preserve a lead. They... Got caught sitting back, chasing the puck, running around, basically hanging on for dear life. And, uh, you know, it all probably has a much more positive spin if they can hang on for just 37 more seconds. But obviously they couldn't. Colorado comes back, ties it, wins in overtime, gets their 17th straight home win. And, you know, it's, it's a game where going in, if you had said, hey, they're going to get a point at Colorado, given how hot the avalanche have been you'd you know you'd be like hey all right that's pretty good i'll take that but now with the way that that game played out that i can't spin that as a positive there's no silver lining you had a two goal lead with 10 minutes left in the game you blew it you didn't have to deal with nathan mckinnon for the vast majority of the game we'll obviously get into that hit from taylor hall and the all the reaction to that but uh yeah it's a tough loss that that should have been two points it should have been two points in regulation. Not that it, you know, not that 
going to overtime really matters since it's the Western Conference team, but that's a game that a good team closes out. Um, and I do think the Bruins are a good team, obviously, as we've seen in in, in this month. But uh, but that was a tough one. That that was not what you want to see from from a team that you know has a chance to close out what could have been a signature win. Yeah, and so Cassidy spoke after the game, and he touched on the fact that in the third period, they just played pretty much the whole period on defense, and then they wore themselves out because they weren't able to make the clears. They kept icing the puck. They they just had such a struggle in that third period to get any offense going that they end up on their heels, and they end up you know, getting tired and maybe a little bit more fatigued than if you had spent more time in your offensive zone. And the stats just were not good in that third period. They were outshot 18-7. to And then in overtime, they didn't even have a single shot. Um, and by that point in time, when when the Avs tie it late, you kind of know what the result's going to be. Um, but something interesting that Allmark said, and just to get your thoughts on it, he said he didn't give a very long interview after the game, uh, but he said... Do not ha- ask him to talk about goals that he gave up. He's given me some little snarky answers, and he gave some snarky answers the other day, so now I don't feel as bad. It wasn't just me. We're um, going to start calling him snarky from now on. <laughs> That's his nickname. By the way... Snor- just, snarky old Mark. This is just a, a total aside, but like, I don't mind a player answering, answering a question about like you know what happened on that goal, or can you describe what happened? Like, I don't mind a snarky answer to that because, as Allmark pointed out, like everyone's watching, everyone has the video, you've all seen the replay, like you know, everyone can figure out what happened themselves. I mean, pretty much, Bridget. Next time, you know, he gives you a, a snarky answer, just say, "Why are you so pissy, Linus?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, my question wasn't as bad as the one that he was asked yesterday, but so what he said. One of the only answers that I, you know, took note of was. Uh, if we had better puck luck in the third period, we would have had two points tonight. And obviously that's kind of dismissing the bad play that happened, but do you think that a few unlucky bounces at the end there in terms of like not being able to make clears and a few plays that did kind of just bounce the Avs way factored in and how much? Yeah, well, it factors in. Obviously, like the Sam, the Sam Girard goal, I think it was his goal. Maybe it tipped somebody in front, but... You know, it's a fluky goal for sure, and that 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 ignites the comeback midway through the third, just afterwards. Um, and then Marshan couldn't clear at the end of the game, so those are the plays you're referring to. And yeah, to Linus's point, I mean, I don't know if the Marshan was puck luck, but it, yeah, if those plays don't happen, sure, the Bruins win the game. But those plays are a result of the Bruins in the third period playing not to lose as opposed to playing to win. And that's what Scott was referring to earlier about, you know, you can't sit back against... You know, a lot of times when you play a really good team, you know they're a really good team, you know they're going to come with a push, you're more um, tempted to accept, like, they're going to come at us, so we just need to, you know, make sure we, we weather the storm. No, no, no. That's not how you win a game. Like, it doesn't matter if you're playing the Colorado Avalanche or if you're playing the Montreal Canadiens. Like, you need to always, um, you know, especially with the lead, you cannot sit back. You have to play with the intent to win and not just hold on for dear life. And you know they're going to make a push. They're trying to defend what's now a 17-game winning streak at home. Like, that was going to be... Uh, like you know the push was coming and Cassidy spoke to it he said it was a 20 minute push we could have afforded to give up a four minute push a six minute push but you can't let that them dominate you for the last 20 minutes 
Yeah, that's where like you need at least that one or, or two shifts where a line gets down the offensive zone and they possess the puck. And even, you know, obviously if they can create a scoring chance, great. But even if it's just cycling and keeping them out of your own end for a little bit and, you know, relieving some of that pressure, like it, it you need something it, to your point, like, and to Cassie's point, you can't just spend the overwhelming majority of the period shift after shift in your end where every time you get the puck, you're just looking to flip it out and like yeah. just do anything. Like you need more actual sustained possession. And yeah, Colorado's a really tough team to do that against. They're they have the best record in the NHL for a reason. Um, even without McKinnon, that's still a great team. That's still a team that you know without McKinnon can put together a top line of Landeskog, Kadri, and Rantanen. Which is as much as you hate Kadri, still <laughs> that's still going to be one of the best lines in the NHL. You still have Makar and Gerard and Devon Taves on defense. Like, yeah, no one's saying that holding onto a lead against that team is easy. Like, it's not. But I think expectations for the Bruins have gone up over this last month. Earlier in the season, you might have said, hey, they almost beat the Avs on the road. Like, you know, they got a point out of it. You'll take it, even though they blew a lead. But now expectations have changed, and now we think that the Bruins are a pretty good team, and you want to see them close out a game like that against a good team. And and what I would say is, you know, um, you win and you learn, right? Like, who says that? Does, Does Brady say that? Is that Brady's quote, you win and you learn, or... I Some, I think I've heard that. Um, Brian DeFelice. <laughs> you win or you learn. Wayne Gretzky, Michael Scott, Tom Brady, Brian DeFelice. Um, and and look that that's 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 what the Bruins have to do. You got to turn the page and move on. I mean, like you said, it's easier said than done to to not be on your heels a little bit in that third period because Colorado. I mean, they are they are unbelievable. They are. I, I tweeted before the game, and I, it's like it's it's mind blowing. They have six players. Averaging over a point per game, and there could be seven, but Sam Gerrard has like two less points in games played. So you have they have two defensemen at over a point per game pace, a third defenseman that's just about a game point per game pace, and then you have you know Landis Cog and Kadri and um, McKinnon, um, Rantanen, like, and then their supporting cast: JT Comfer, uh, Natushkin. Um, Tyson Jost, like these, they just Burakovsky. Burakovsky has like you know thirty five points this year. So, what's very evident with Colorado is they are incredibly, incredibly fast. And so when you have when you're when you have that much team speed and you want to turn it on in the third period, it's very difficult for the team with the lead, in this case the Bruins, to not be on their heels. But what happens is that you try to get too cute. So the best way the Bruins could have weathered that, not just weathered the storm, but get away with two points last night was um you know yes be stronger on the on the walls in your own zone but they really just had to simplify it and if that means that okay so if colorado is coming with speed and they're pinching their deer pinching because they're down their forwards are getting in the forecheck the best way to combat that sometimes isn't to just dump it up the boards because that's just going to go right back down sometimes it just takes for the bruins defense to hold on to the puck for an extra second and maybe skate it out of trouble for a little bit. Now, the Bruins didn't have the most mobile D last night, but regardless, and then you get to the red line, you dump it in, and then Scott said it, you kind of cycle a little bit. But that didn't happen. Um, but, I mean, Colorado, like I said, just, I mean, I, I can't remember the last time a team has boasted so many players with over a point per game pace. I mean, that's insane. Yeah. I mean, like you said, Scott, McKinnon was on the ice for all of 20 seconds last night. 
And he was so he essentially wasn't even playing. And you're watching this game, and you're like, "Holy shit, Colorado is phenomenal!" Like I don't, I don't know, I don't know how a team beats them in a seven game series if Colorado plays the way that they can. I mean, I think the cup is theirs to lose, quite frankly. Yeah, pretty much the whole season they've had the highest um, odds, if you want to say, or percent um, yeah. prediction to win the cup. They have the they had the highest percent to advance in each round and including winning the cup and i don't think that changes from here to the end of the season and it's not just you know skill like they have they have it all like their defensemen are just just above and beyond is it kurt is uh, is it curtis mcdermott yeah he's he's a big tough guy i mean that that, he's he's one of the heavyweight fighters in the league but he's not a goon where he just like can't flat out play he has size he's like he's like a borderline seven six defenseman but my point is you have him. You have both Johnsons. You have um, you have Landis Cog, who's a phenomenal captain. We'll get into him and Taylor Hall shortly. Um, you have Kadri, who hopefully, for his sake, can not get suspended from the playoffs this year. But my point is, they um, they do have. I, I wouldn't count on it. They, really, they honestly, they they do have a. Uh, it, they're not just skill. Like they, they, if if they get if they become disciplined and their coach said it after the game, like the Eric the Eric Johnson cross checks on Taylor Hall, he was like, look. That's one of those things where, like, we need to get that out of our game come playoffs because that can cost us a series and momentum and stuff like that. So Colorado has some things to work on as far as intangibles, but they have it all. Yeah, and, you know, it's... They actually got off to, like, a little bit of a slow start this year, and there's been a lot made of their home-winning streak. Also, just overall, they're 18-1-1 in their last 20 games. Like it's it's insane. I mean, they're just borderline unbeatable right now. Um, obviously, a long ways to go between now and the playoffs. Like, you know, let's see if they get there healthy. Anything can happen in a seven-game series, all that. Like, their goaltending might fail them. You know, Darcy Kemper hasn't really been tested on the big stage. Like, anything can happen. We know that. But, yeah, obviously, they, they certainly look like the favorites. You know, it would be... Them and probably still Tampa would be the the favorite in the East, although Carolina's looked great. But um, yeah, I mean it's it's a crazy Western Conference this season, and they are just really separating from the pack. Like there's you know Vegas hasn't quite been up to that level. Now we'll see when they eventually get Jack Eichel how that changes things. Totally. Um, that that could be a fascinating conference finals if it oh plays my God. out that way. That would be so fun. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I mean, look, they have a couple of good teams on their division they'll have to get through, whether it's Minnesota or St. Louis in the second round. So um, the entire Western Conference is, like, pure chaos. It's like, like, I feel like I check the standings every couple of days, and it's, like, a different team in spots six through eight, like, every yeah. few days. It's like, Which is the opposite some, of the East. Yeah, the East, everything's settled. It's like, yeah. you know the eight teams, now it's just a matter of what order they end up in. That actually, that's a good point, Scott. Like, uh, if I were an Avalanche uh, fan, like I, the one thing that would really be worrisome for 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 their cup chances is is the um, the field that you ha- that you'd have to go through to get to um, winning a cup, right? Like, you could it, it could shake out that like they play like Nashville in the first round, and like we saw Nashville here in Boston yeah, three say, weeks that ago, won't be a fun and like they you might win it, you, yeah, you'll win it, but, but it like, won't be fun. Exactly, like like how healthy are you, right? Yeah. I mean, you have. You know, Borvieski goes out and like headhunts, you know, Ranton and like, oh, there he goes, you know. So, and then Kadri, you know, responds with a couple of, couple of cross checks to the back of the head. So, you know, <laughs> we'll see what happens. But yeah, Minnesota's a fun team. I mean, Kirill Kaprizov is 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 awesome. Um, yeah, we just mentioned Nashville. St. Louis is playing with some swagger. Vegas will be a wagon with with Jack Eichel and. Uh, 
yeah, and, and you know, it'll be really fun. So, um, but Bridget, did you have any thoughts on the game before we get into the big topic from that game? Um, well, I think I pretty much the the main story was besides the the Taylor Hall thing was just the the lack of effort in that the the breakdown in the twenty minutes, and I'm not sure if their strategy was just off base there, like you said, just playing to not lose, um, and they just weren't able to stop. You know the defense is capable of producing offense for them, and I just really didn't think they stepped into shooting lanes for them enough, and uh, that's kind of just how <laughs> it played out. But I do have thoughts on the Taylor Hall thing as well. Uh, obviously, we have the ability to watch the replay. We saw right away what happened. Um with this, it being McKinnon's stick, his own stick, hitting himself in the face, um, and immediately did not look like a dirty play, to me at least. Um, you guys, I think, feel the same way? Well, when I was watching it in real time, I absolutely thought it was a, um, just the way the TNT camera was, it it was an ice view, and it just looked like, uh, it looked like your classic, uh, breeze by shoulder to, to head, yep. um, you know, textbook hit. And I was like, oh, boy. And then obviously, you know, you see McKinnon on the ice leaking, wobbly, and you're like, oh, shit. Like, this isn't good. And, uh, yeah, first replay you see, um, everything you initially thought turned out to be uh, to be wrong. And, you know, I think, that, I think that everybody involved handled it the way they should have handled it from their points of view. I yeah, thought but the, they get to look at the replay too. Like there's there is replay available to players on the bench and yeah. coaching staffs, and they the response that the Avalanche put out after that was as if they never saw what they never saw the replay of it and didn't see what actually happened. But it's not so so before that though. So the referees, I just want to say this because it, it's to give them credit. Like the refs rightfully called a five-minute major because it happened so fast. We all thought the same thing. So yep. they called it on the ice five minutes. They reviewed it. They rescinded it. And as Bridget said, everybody has replay and everybody agreed, both teams, refs, fans, everybody. So the refs did their job. Now, you can argue after the replay they should have been like, that was, wasn't really a penalty at all. But unfortunately, the rule book says if you call something a major, which in real time, I'd be hard-pressed to find somebody who wouldn't have called it a major, you can't go from a major to nothing. So they had to give him something, so they gave him interference. Fine. As far as what Bridget said about the Avalanche, like, they know it wasn't a dirty play, but intent in this situation didn't matter to them. And if it if the roles were reversed and it was Bergeron who got a stick in the nose uh, and it was leaking or Pashnak or Marshand or McAvoy, whomever... You bet your ass that Bruins fans would have been like, we don't care that it wasn't a headshot. We still want somebody to have to answer. And that's all Colorado was doing. But it and, came uh, back to, but, to hurt them at yeah, the it end did. of the day. It, it did. And, well, it and, didn't, but it did. No, well, it should have. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it um, almost did. Like, And it was so egregious, like three cross checks to his back when he's yeah. clearly not even trying to like he was defenseless and he wasn't trying to do any though so i'm sure he had a conversation with with whomever would have come up to him and would have said i didn't i you know i wasn't targeting him it was and taylor hall isn't really a player like that he doesn't have like that kind of a history and yeah it's it turned around to bite them originally yeah. um and it just it was driving me crazy because it just seems so unnecessary. So I, I get the Avalanche being upset 
and wanting to, you know, do something to stand up for McKinnon. But I'm with Bridget. Like the way they approached it was just silly to me. Like it was, it was, it got foolish. Like Landeskog grabbing Hall twice on the same shift and just like pinning him up against the boards in front of the bench. It's like, dude, like you clearly, okay, you at, you tried to get him to drop the gloves. He's clearly not going to do it. So like now you do it a second time. Like to what to what end? Like what is the purpose of the second type? First off, he should have been called for interference because he's holding holding him there for like four seconds. Yeah. But secondly, it's like. What are you doing? And then Eric Johnson cross-checking him three times, like, while you're already on the penalty kill? Like, that, it was just dumb. And then th- what they said after the game, uh, Landeskog admits that it wasn't that bad of a hit, but says, you know, it's it's unfortunate that Hall didn't want to answer for it. And it's like, you just said it wasn't that bad of a hit. What is he answering for? Like, th- this has been a something that's bothered me for a long time, and, like, it doesn't happen as much now, thankfully. But the whole idea that, like, you have to drop the gloves after any big hit. It's like, is hitting part of hockey or not? Like, are you allowed to hit people or not? That's because like if, if you are, Perry then if, as long as you throw a clean hit, you shouldn't have to fight. Like, it's so silly to me that, like, I, I get the result is bad. But guess what? That happens sometimes. Now, if it's a dirty hit, you know, if there's something to legitimately be upset about, fine. Like, yes, then try to get someone to answer for it. But when it's a clean hit, and you know it's a clean hit, and Gabriel Landeskog admits after the game that he saw it during the intermission and realized it was McKinnon's own stick that hit him. Yeah, then they come like, out in the second period and they just absolutely harass Taylor well, Hall. And, the, and it ends up being the Charlie Coyle power play goal. After they were able to review the hit, because that's when they really reviewed the hit for, for real was in the intermission. But uh, just a couple of things. Number number one, um, because I, I, I agree with you guys, like like Taylor Hall didn't have to fight Landeskog because number one, First and foremost, first and foremost, when Landeskog was trying to challenge Taylor Hall, the Boston Bruins were losing the hockey game one to nothing. So why, oh why, in addition to it being a, a non-hit to the head, would Taylor Hall go in the, in the, into the box for five minutes when his team's losing? Number one. Number two, I understand why Colorado's mad and why they wanted somebody to answer for something because um, it was from the blind side and had Taylor Hall actually connected with them, it actually may have ended up a lot worse. And I just don't think the Avalanche appreciated um, the angle that he took. With that said, it was ending, it did end up being a clean hit. What should have happened, if anything, was that the Avalanche, you know, Taylor Hall may have been more enticed to be like, fine, fuck it maybe later in the game when the Bruins were up 3-1, if it was somebody like JT Comfer or somebody like that that challenged them. But I don't see him Taylor agreeing Hall, to, to uh, don't, don't forget, Taylor Hall did drop the gloves with uh, Baker Mayfield last year. So like he he, he has... Baker Mayfield? Clean Browns quarterback? <laughs> what did what, what, I say? Scott Mayfield, sorry. Scott Mayfield. <laughs> Scott... Pardon me, I know that I forgot the Islanders' sixth defenseman's first name, Scott Mayfield. Sorry, Baker Mayfield. Um, that would that would been a good fight too. I was like I missed that one, Brian. Here goes Baker from the stands. That's the next progressive commercial. <laughs> um, you know, there could have been a way to entice Taylor Hall because you know he's not going to fight Landis Gog. Landis Gog, he's sneaky tough. What I found laughable, and I don't know if you guys picked up on this because you probably would have mentioned it, Landis Gog challenged Taylor Hall twice on one shift. Didn't happen. Did you see who tried to challenge Taylor Hall to fight later, like a few shifts later? It was, no. it, it was McDermott. 
Oh. One of the toughest yeah. guys in the NHL who just beat Ryan Reeves in the fight. He has Taylor Hall down in the corner, and the, the camera starts going down ice. So you, it was tough to follow it, but I saw it. He's sitting there uh, harassing him, trying to drop. Yeah, McDermott, you're 6'7". You're Hall's going to drop the gloves with you. Yeah, so That was the most asinine thing play, I saw. You play, you're a defenseman who plays eight minutes a game. Yeah. Like. <laughs> but, um, well, can I make yeah. a comparison to, sure. to, to Scott's point about sometimes there's a fight and it's kind of or trying to to draw someone into a fight after a hit that you don't think is fair. It's kind of the old school way of doing things. And just to bring this up, another situation where this happened in recent years, actually involving a player that's now a Bruins player. But remember that hit in the playoffs, Corey Perry on John Travaris? Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think anybody... I, maybe I'm wrong, but it... it Corey Perry did not mean to to do that to John Travaris. Yeah, and man, it was a freak immediately, accident. It was a freak accident. Immediately what happens is Nick Foligno settles the score, but in this case it's a little bit different because Corey Perry agrees to fight him and it kind of clears the blood. Like it kind of like yeah. cleared the animosity a little well, bit like Perry stood up whatever. But that's another situation where it's like, is it really necessary? No, I know your your captain, like you're one of your best players. That's you know probably one of your most likable players too. Goes down horrible, horrible injury, head injury. No one wants to see it. But per- like, you, then you make Perry fight. Like he did step up and do it, but it's not necessary. Yeah, and for the sake of consistency, for me, like I thought that was silly at that time. Like you would probably find. I could probably pull up tweets from that time. If we were doing the skate podcast back then, I would have said it. Like, yeah, I thought that was extremely silly because it was clearly an accident, and I didn't get on what planet Corey Perry had anything to answer for. Like, I can't even imagine he was in the right mindset at that time. Like, you just, you know, well, yeah, Tavares was game, clearly he said he seriously was, hurt. Yeah, and Corey Perry after the game said, "I felt felt sick to my stomach when yeah. I when I saw what happened." Well, he, Taylor Hall had more of a reason to answer to. The Avalanche and Corey Perry did to the least because I mean, Taylor Hall. Threw it. Yeah, it was an attempted hit. Corey Perry was literally skating by um, a collision that took place right before him and had no time to react. But uh, yeah, I just like I understand. Look, like I said, I understand. I I I I agree with Taylor Hall's decision to not drop the gloves because it wasn't it wasn't warranted. I also understand why the Avalanche wanted to just kind of you know. The only thing I was thinking of. And this would have been really unfortunate when I was watching that game. The only reason I wanted Taylor Hall in any way, shape, or form to just answer to that incident, whether he should have or not, was because I didn't want later in the game the Avalanche to take a cross-ice, blindside hit, Kadri, McDermott, somebody else at at Pashnak because Taylor Hall didn't drop the gloves and and, and, uh, satisfy the Avalanche's need to own up to something. That... That was the only thing that crossed my mind throughout the game where I was like, oh, God, if if, if Marshand or McAvoy or Pashnak get targeted and, and they're out for some time because of a hit that took place because Tail Hall didn't respond to something, then that is all people would have been talking about in Boston today, and that would have sucked. Yeah, and the other... So I guess, like, another storyline that kind of came off this is that I've seen a little bit on social media today is the idea that, like someone on the Bruins should have then gone after Landeskog for going after Hall and then becomes this whole game of like everyone's chasing their tail going after the guy who went after the guy who went after the guy but <laughs> and not like, playing the it's like that Spider-Man yeah. meme right <laughs> we're just pointing at each other just forget I, about the hockey game guys I don't, you just... know like I don't know if you guys have any t- t- opinion on that but like I don't think the Bruins needed I don't think someone else needs to step up again like 
the abs were clearly the one who wanted to try to turn this into fight night. Like, I don't know. I, I don't feel like the Bruins had any real reason to drop the gloves, and I don't think it says anything negative about them that they didn't. Like, I know we've had this toughness discussion before. I think they've done some of... I think they've answered some of those questions in recent weeks. Like, they've had some games that have been physical, and they've had to respond, and they've come through it. Um so, but I don't know if you guys have any different thoughts. Well, let's be real. None of it was necessary. Either side. Uh, and the the thing is that you could fall victim to if you're the Bruins and you do try to, you know, get back at Landeskog, you could end up um, with yourself in the box and you could yeah. end up falling victim to just not being disciplined and then you put yourself at a disadvantage against the best team in the league. Yeah. I mean, you know, the other thing too is like, and, and to answer your question quickly, Scott, uh, I mean, who who on the they don't really have the personnel to do that. Like like nobody on the Bruins roster. Um, I, I guess like if push comes to shove, I guess you could get Carlo to fight or, or Forbert, but like they're not you know, without without Felino in the lineup. Cliffy. There's really, huh? <laughs> yeah, Cliffy could have dropped the gloves with somebody. Uh, could have been a nice nice scrap with Cliffy and Gerard, but uh, <laughs> the personnel is not really that's not really their makeup, and and it wasn't a situation where they had to answer for it. Now, like I said, if the if if the Bruins top stars got targeted in return because Hall wasn't responding, then I would have wanted somebody to step up. But even then, they don't have the personnel. Um, so yeah, I don't I don't really uh, I don't think it was a big deal. No, like I'll say this though: if you're Colorado, the only the last thing I'll say about it, this is why Colorado was so mad. Because it wasn't a headshot, it wasn't a dirty hit, but that play, right, the, the McKinnon pass and you know beneath his blue line to the wing, that that pass happens on a breakout a million times over the, over the course of a hockey game, especially in the regular season, and nine point nine out of ten times, like all that will happen is like the opposing team will just like maybe reach their stick to their shin pad or or, or their stick and just kind of keep going up the ice with them. In this circumstance, Taylor Hall didn't do that. He attempted to, to to make a body a body hit, which is the game. And you know what? If if you're Colorado and you're sitting there saying, "Oh, it's a regular season," you know, just do a fly by like everybody else. Well, you know what? The Bruins are they're establishing something the last month. They're playing the best team in the league on the road, and they want to set the tone to start yeah. the game. That's, also, that's you know, a, you know that's who's you know who's not doing a flyby. You know who's trying to take that hit every time it's there. Who? Nazem Kadri. Yeah. Like. Yeah. So, you know, come on. Like, you, yeah. you have one of the guys who's always going to look for that hit and, you know, oftentimes lands it cleanly, sometimes lands it in a very dirty way. Like, you know, look at the hit in the playoffs last year on Justin Falk where he gets him straight to the head. Like, mm-hmm. And there's a history. You, you, you that... have that guy on your team. So, you like, you, don't sit there and cry me a river because someone stepped up on one of your players at the blue line. You know what else I found last night uh, surfing the web was uh... – did you did you guys remember that like in 2013 14 something like that um Landis Cog genuinely caught Marshan with a headshot over the middle in Boston and then Marshan uh, sucker punched him afterwards <laughs> yep. yeah I now, do remember that now it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't necessarily Matt Cook on Savard that Landis Cog did to Marshan but it was closer to that than what Hall did to McKinnon did yeah. so it just kind of made the whole circumstance go full circle which I found interesting yeah but it's it, hypocritical it is hypocritical yeah um Shall we move on? Well, actually, a couple other things about the game because it does have implications going forward with 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 uh, Jake DeBrusque. Another st- strong game from him. Um, obviously, the Bruins are down one nothing, four and four. Uh, scores a nice goal, has a, a lot of emotion um, afterwards. Just another, the latest example of what Jake is capable of doing when he's on his game. Um, 
you know, I think he's played strong since his trade request. Um, you know, there are times where you watch him and you and you say to yourself, does he have to get traded? And then you realize, well, he is the one who requested it. So, um, you know, just another another example of him, I guess, raising his stock a little bit. Yeah, and, you know, we continue to hear really very little when it comes to what's going on with DeBras. There was a report that the Rangers have some interest, which if you're the Bruins, I don't. Unless you feel like you're getting someone back who's going to help you, I don't think you're trading him to the Rangers mm-hmm. because that's a team you might have to play in the playoffs. So, you know, you, like you're not going to take a Western Conference team. That might be different if you're only getting, you know, a prospect or pick or, you know, something non-NHL roster in return. But I don't think you're doing that with an Eastern Conference playoff team because there's no way, again, with like a, you know, closing window – that you're trading a player that's potentially going to go help a team beat you in the playoffs. So, and you're taking the risk in the case that you know if you if you try to send him to the Rangers, you're taking a risk that all of a sudden during the playoffs the kid just turns into like his best form, which was what 2017, uh, yeah. and all of a sudden turns on that kind of production, uh, which. Uh, it was actually, yeah, the 2018 season. Uh, so you, you take the risk that all of a sudden with like a fresh start, he finds that game again. I, I actually do believe that wherever he goes, especially if it's a good situation, I have no issue seeing him uh, putting up big numbers real quick. Because yeah, I, I can see that. If, he has a talent. If, if a team puts him in, if if a team gets him, puts him in the top six and doesn't demand every shift hard defensive play like gives him a little bit more freedom gives him a little more rope to you know all right he didn't back check all the way that time but we'll let it slide like he if he goes to a team like that yeah like he'll put up points um you know especially if he's on a good line which i think he would be with the rangers i think he'd you know they could potentially put him in their top six or at the at worst on the on the third line um so yeah, so it I makes a lot of sense for the Rangers, but it doesn't make much right. sense at all for the Bruins. Yeah, and and the other update was uh, you know one that we've heard in the past, but uh, Flutish and Zauer wrote about again the Athletic, which is that it's a tough market because teams have questions about committing to him going forward. Um, his qual he's a restricted free agent, but his qualifying offer is going would come in north of four million dollars, which I don't think too many teams would be willing to give him, would be willing to make, especially not if you're only getting him for a few months to evaluate him. Um, so that complicates it because who's going to give you anything if they think there's a chance that they're letting him walk at the end of the year. So mm-hmm. um, I think the, the longer, you know, now look, things will pick up as we get closer to the trade deadline, but I wouldn't be shocked if, Debrusca's just here through the end of the year. I've uh, had that. I've had that feeling as well, especially it, that original press conference that Don Sweeney gave after the it became public about the trade request. It, well, you know, he's political and and whatnot, but without saying it, he kind of said it like they're not in a rush because they it doesn't change their approach to what they want to get from for him, and he straight up said. You know, this could this might not be something that happens this year, and that when he said that, it kind of like m- made me think about it, and the fact that it makes more sense to not move him quite yet. Yeah. Obviously, trade deadline, 
Last year we thought, you know, maybe they move him then. This year they have an opportunity, maybe, but I think it is more likely that they end up with him through the through the rest of the season into the off season. Yeah, I mean, I think last episode I said something along the lines of like, you gotta you gotta just get rid of him now, even if it's for like salary cap relief, because you gotta start th- focusing on the guys that are gonna be here for the playoff push. But I mean, it it, it just does depend because if. First of all, if Jake's mindset is changing a little bit, you know, if he if a little bit more success and, you know, if he's if he starts to come around on, you know what, I'm happy to be here for the rest of this year and then go like if if the trade deadline comes and the Bruins don't have and the Bruins don't have a, a return that that they're um you know, okay with, then why should Jake DeBrus go to another playoff, especially Eastern Conference playoff team to bolster them at the deadline? If they're viewing him as a deadline pickup, then why wouldn't the Bruins just view him being here as you know value, valuable as well? And you know, I I I don't buy the Eastern Conference, especially Eastern Conference playoff team that he would go to because you know if you're the Bruins, if you're if he's going to an Eastern Conference playoff team, then the asking price would be even higher because well we're not going to give you to him and compete against us in the playoffs and, and keep the price the same as a western conference team so when you know, when you know he has that chip on his shoulder yeah, if you're sure. ever going to play the bruins yeah so i mean i think uh if he does get dealt i would imagine i would imagine western conference um but you know like you like you said scott the longer this goes you know i wouldn't be surprised like you said if if he sticks around and just you know accepts his third line role and uh and and as long as he has the right mentality, if if he's if he if he's if he's okay with doing that, and uh, then, then 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 yeah, the one thing that could change this that changes the equation, um, if we want to get into this next is if you acquire a second line center that could bump Eric Hollow down to third line left wing, DeBrus could become more expendable. Um, do we want to take a? Take a break here and then get into the, the second line center discussion. Yeah, so we'll take a break, do second line center and goaltending because we do yes. have thoughts on um, Olmark's performance as well as Rasmus's return. All right, so, Scott. Yes. You bring it up, so we might as well entertain it. Now, I guess the starting point here would be you wrote an article. Do you want me to plug it for you or do you want to plug it? Uh, go ahead. Give it a shot. Okay. All right. Let me let me let me let me, let me do my best, Scott Scott McLaughlin. Make sure you use at least like three glowing adjectives. <laughs> All right. So I'm gonna I'm gonna put on my Scott McLaughlin cap here real quick. So I wrote I wrote an article uh, posted for WI.com um, after looking up a bunch of stuff on Natural Stat Trick, and what I wrote down was that there are five potential centers that the Bruins could acquire at the deadline: uh, J T. Miller, Claude Giroux, Thomas Hurdle, Joe Pavelski. Or David Krejci. How was that? That was good. Okay. <laughs> one of those much more unlikely than the others. <laughs> I wonder which one. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. So, so, so Scott pretty much just wrote an article about the four, uh, the four true um, potential second line centers the Bruins could target. Um, we're going to leave Krejci out of the conversation. So Pavelski, Thomas Hurdle, JT Miller, Claude Giroux. By the way, I love like some of the responses I get to this. Like people who clearly didn't even, like one response was like. They can't add Krejci. He has to go through waivers. I'm like, oh, thanks. Like, no, I wrote this entire article. I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for mentioning it. Anyways, so before a lot we- of people take everything on Twitter like serious, like no, they they should know Scott has uh, some sarcasm in him. So, well, just well, I mean, no, it's yeah. it's it's 
what gets me is the, the responses headline. of people who, yeah, who clearly don't read it. Because an- <laughs> another response was Joe Pavelski plays wing now. I'm like, also addressed in the article. Covered. Thank you. <laughs> Did it, was, wasn't that Brent Burns that, that tweeted that at you? <laughs> um, so before we, before we, before we broke, um, Scott pretty much kind of alluded to the fact of like, what if DeBrusque was part of a package for a second line center? Right. Uh, no, well, not necessarily. I mean, he could be part of a package, but what I meant was, um, you know, so we're looking at it right now. DeBrusque has a set spot and a spot that you need to be filled, which is third line left wing. He's played well there. Uh, you know, that line has looked pretty good with him, Coyle, and Steen. Um, the scenario to me where DeBrusque becomes expendable, whether he's part of the trade or part of a separate deal, is if you get a second line center, to me, like the, natu- the natural lineup shift is keep your top lines the same with your new second line center in there. And Eric Hall goes down to third line left wing. He had some chemistry with Charlie Coyle earlier this season uh, for a brief stretch when Martian was suspended. But not and, nearly as much chemistry as he's had with the second line. No. Like, you're going to see a, but, another drop-off from him in that situation. I mean, sure, just because he's not playing with as talented of players. Yeah. But that's, you know, so what? Like, I, I'm thinking about what's best for the team, now it's best for Eric Hollis. So, uh, you know, so where this discussion starts is, first, you know, do you... Should you be targeting a second-line center? Should it be your priority? Um, I think we're probably all on the same page in that while Eric Halla has looked good as your second-line center between Hall and Pasternak, it's still a little hard to trust that he's going to hold up and play this well there for the rest of the year and through the playoffs. He has one season where he has produced like a true top-six forward. Um, we've talked about before it was the year in Vegas – when he had James Neal and David Perron as his primary line mates, every other year he's been more of a third line player. Um, I just think you have to be prepared for the possibility that, uh, you know, that he kind of returns to what he's been most of his career, and you know maybe starts to cool off a little bit, and uh, you know that would mean you once again have a second line center problem because if he. If Hall if Hall does start to fall off a little, you've already tried Charlie Coyle there. He didn't really have chemistry with Hall. Um, Jack Stonika, we know, is not ready right now. Most likely won't be in the next month or two. You know, we'll we'll see. Maybe he takes some sort of huge jump that's that we're not really predicting. But that's about it. Like th- those are your options. You know, they've Cassidy on uh, Monday night against Anaheim. Moved Tomas Nosek up for most of the second period, but I mean Tomas Nosek is not a second line center, so you know if you have any questions at all about Hall, then that's to me still that would be the priority for me. The debate would come down to second line center or top four D, mm-hmm. and I am increasingly leaning towards second line center being the priority. I couldn't agree more. Um, I don't know if you were looking for a little back-and-forth debate, but I can't disagree with you on this one. I think the best way for me to put it is that if the Bruins are to acquire somebody at the deadline in a goal in a, in a quote-unquote all-in move, right? So that includes a first-round pick, um, you know, a young roster player or Providence player, and Bruins fans who refuse to admit it, one of 
Lorai, Lysel, or Swayman, because those are the only prospects of value. If I have to put all those together for a package for either a number two center or a top four defenseman, I'm doing it for a number two center because it is the market for a defenseman that you can acquire to eat up 20 minutes. Um, it's more feasible to get without a huge package. Like the Bruins can go out the deadline and if they can find a defenseman to play 18 to 22 minutes, it might not be a household name and it might not be a, a bona fide top two defenseman. It won't be, but it could be somebody that could fill a void. You need, there's only so many true number two centers to the point where they're probably a number one center on their current team. The Bruins will have to use their best uh, collateral to get that guy. And that's why, that's why I agree with you. And I think that, I think that to, it also depends what you do with DeBrusque. Like, if you trade DeBrusque to, like, Arizona, let's just say hypothetically for, like, Lawson Krause, we've mentioned him in the past, because he's a Western Conference team, because he's young and they're rebuilding, whatever. I could see Lawson Krause filling Jake's spot on third line left wing and Hollick could go down on the fourth line with Nosek, who he's played with in Vegas. Now, that might alter the identity of that fourth line. The Bruins might want to keep that fourth line bigger and tougher. Maybe Krause could go there. Mm-hmm. So you can tinker with that. But yes, I mean, Eric Hollow should not be your number two center going into the playoffs. Um, so I guess it's a roundabout way of me saying I feel that the Bruins should prioritize a number two center, whether that's JT Miller, Claude Giroux, Thomas Hurdle, um, Joe Pavelski, whomever. That's that's what Don Sweeney should be focusing on when he's saying to himself, all right, if I'm going to give teams certain prospects singular or plural in a pick that I value the most to better our chances to win a cup, that's the position I'm upgrading because I think they can find a defenseman at the deadline for not not that. And I think the reason why the center position has become such an important one for them to fill carefully um, at second line uh, is because they do not currently have the best long-term solution uh, for a second-line center. So you bring in a guy... Or a first-line first center. Bridget, for, they, they don't... Never mind the best long-term solution. They don't have a long-term no, solution. Don't. So what I'm getting at is that's why it's important to, if there's a guy available right now, say JT Miller, you target, you're like, okay, this is this is a guy that right now he's available. This is someone we can see working out here. We got him for another year, and then we're going to get be in a conversation with him to extend that if if we really think that he could be our long-term solution so they're not just looking for a this year's solution when they go out and look for a second line center that's where it becomes important and kind of narrows down your focus of well what kind of center are we talking we're talking someone like jt miller who's younger if that's the situation that they're trying to do two things they're trying to fix the problem this year but they're trying to create a better plan going forward and just try a guy out that they think could fit the system and be with them extend with them later yeah and by the way they they have been linked to miller like it's not just speculation right um and he's a good option because he's 28 and you know his contract right now is pretty reasonable and you'd have him next season as well um before he became an unrestricted free agent and And you can't say those same things for somebody like claude Giroux. yeah who you'd have to probably give up something similar for so Daily Faceoffs Frank Saravalli reported that he named the Bruins as one of the four teams he has heard is interested in Miller, along with the, I think it was the Rangers, Wild, and Flames. By the way, Rangers have been linked to like everyone, so yeah. <laughs> I, I guess I guess Don, either, either Don they're Sweeney active they're or, they're, or yeah, or they're they're at least like texting everyone. I, I don't know. They they're really active on on their cell phone, but um, uh, 
so they've been linked to him, and I think just from a to Bridges' point, just to, from a contract standpoint, makes the most sense. We know Sweeney has, as much as possible, tried to target players who have term, who are not just rentals. Doesn't mean he won't get a rental. You know, Taylor Hall and Mike Riley were both rentals that they ended up extending, both of them. Um, you know, so if you go that route, then Tomas Hurdle comes into play. He's also 28, but is an unrestricted free agent after this year, so that'd be a player that you're getting and you're either trying to extend right away or hoping he likes his time here and you extend him in the off season. Um, a little different than I would say the hall situation where, you know, Hall's kind of a unicorn in the sense, like he just wanted to be here. He said, you know, getting paid wasn't his priority. He's already made a lot of money in his career. Like this, this would be Thomas Hurdle's last chance at a big payday. Uh, he'll he'd probably get a raise over his current contract on the open market. So, you know that that might not be easy, but that's something you could do if you wanted to. Where, you know, you would think maybe he has five or six more good years into his thirties. Um, and then you know we mentioned Giroux. That's different. That's it's certainly a player I would still be open to. Like, I, you know, because I kind of think. Whatever you can do to make a run while you still have Bergeron, and if that's, you know, Giroux for for half a season or for a few months on a playoff run, depending on the cost, like, I'm not, I don't think I'm mortgaging my future. You know, I'm not giving up, like, all those pieces for a 34-year-old Claude Giroux on an expiring contract. Um, But I might move one of them and another, you know, solid piece or two I might be willing to do because I think Claude Giroux is still a very good player. Um, he's still producing. He's still driving play. Uh, I think, I think he'd be a pretty good fit on this team. Um, but di- obviously different in the sense like that is almost a true rental. Maybe you could, you know, sign him up for another year or two or, or something afterwards. But that is obviously not solving, you know, your long term so, uh, center situation. So, <clears throat> Claude Giroux is on a team that's, uh, you know, their house is on fire in Philadelphia. Um, Pavelski and Thomas Hurdle are both on teams that are tied with points for the last playoff team in the West. So I don't think those two teams are in a position to depart with. Right now, as we speak, the deadline's, you know, months away. But as we currently speak, those two teams aren't in a position to get rid of uh, some, you know, they're not doing that. So it comes down to Claude Giroux as we currently speak and JT Miller because the Canucks have fallen right back down to where they were earlier in the year. Uh, they're really struggling. Um, playoffs, I don't think, are in their future this year. So I think if it's between Giroux and Miller, obviously I feel like the Bruins need to do everything that they can to make the Canucks feel like the prettiest girl in the room. And you gotta and, and because for the reasons for the reasons Bridget said, like um, JT Miller's age, uh, he's not a straight rental. You'd have him for next year as well, and obviously a chance to extend him. I also love the way he plays. He's yeah. a, he's a number one caliber center. He's a point per game guy. He plays with he plays in all situations. He's physical. He's talented. He's everything the Bruins need to go on this run. Um, so yeah. Now I just think that you know one thing that people need to like understand. We talked about this a little bit before the podcast, but. Um, you know, this Boston Bruins team, I think people need to understand just how good they can be if they complete this roster. Because right now, you have 
a true number one defenseman in McAvoy. You have Bergeron, Marchand, Pashnak, like you have Taylor Hall, and they have really good depth too. This team, I'm telling you right now, if they can add JT Miller to this team, offensively, I'd put him up there with anybody in the Eastern Conference. I absolutely would. I think that Florida and Carolina, as good and young as they are, they're unproven in the playoffs. Tampa Bay, as good as they are, they have a lot of miles on them the last few years. I'm not. The Bruins have the Capitals number the last few years. Pittsburgh is okay, but they're nothing. I don't fear them. Like if you add GT Miller to this team, offensively, you're as good as anybody. In net, you're as good as anybody in the East. That is, and then on defense, add a depth guy. And when I say depth guy, I mean somebody who is probably mid pair caliber. And this team can get out of the Eastern Conference. And so I just feel like everybody f- understands that the Bruins are good. They can be great with if they complete this team. In order to complete this team. You have to be able to be willing to part with one of Fabian Lysel, Mason Lorai, or Jeremy Swayman, along with the first-round draft pick. And I know a lot of people are reluctant because they're like, we don't want to mortgage our future. But what future are you talking about? Because they don't have a uh, they don't have a planet center, and unless one yeah, Bergeron, yeah, that, that JT Miller, if if could we are be. specifically talking about him. That is a move for your future. You're not mortgaging yeah. it completely. That's a good point, Bridget. And like, so, but when Patrice Bergeron retires, and I don't believe it's this year, it could be after next year, unless um, there's a high end free agent that the Bruins could just throw money at, like, they don't have a plan. So, my point in saying all this, when Bergeron goes, an elite number one center in hockey is like having a, t- a top quarterback in football. You need it to be successful, more so than a, than a great goalie. And if you hold back certain trade chips this year because you don't want to mortgage your future, and you have Mason Lorai and Lysel and Swayman in three, four years, but no centers, you'll be nothing but average. And that won't help this team long-term. It won't help them win a cup. It won't help them get higher draft selections. My point in saying this is, like, you can't have your cake and eat it, too. I said that phrase before. I love that phrase. You can't have your cake and eat it, too. You can't... You said that first. I'm going to say it one more time. You can't have your cake and eat it, too. You can't... Brian DeFelice. Michael Scott Wingreski. <laughs> Scott McLaughlin. Baker Mayfield. You can you cannot um you cannot expect the Bruins to optimize this Patrice Bergeron window, which by the way will be the best chance you can win until they eventually replace him probably through the draft without being uh willing to give up uh, what you value most. Like do you think do you think Don Sweeney's calling the Canucks and is like, Hey, uh, we want JT Miller? All right, Donnie, well, you know, we'll we're we'll listen to uh, you um we're thinking of first. Lorai and uh, Stanika. Oh, no, 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 no. Uh, we can't do Lorai. Uh, he's one of our best prospects. All right, well, we'll talk to you later. Like, you can't just grab away somebody else's best player or player of value for a couple seconds and p- players in your system that you don't really care if you lose. That's not how it works. Yeah. Some, someone else, another good quote that someone else has said in the past. Brian DeFelice. You, <laughs> you got to give up something to get something. <laughs> Scott just said in three <laughs> seconds what I was saying in ten minutes, but yes, exactly, um, exactly. Yeah, I mean, like you said, like yeah, you can have you know this next wave or whatever, and some of these talented prospects. But if Bergeron retires and you have no number one and no number two center, you're not going anywhere. But then you're you're probably trading one of them anyways to try to get it at that point. So uh, you know, yeah, JT Miller, it's not he's not going to be you know ten a ten year guy. But what he does do is he gives you at least one of your top two centers for the post-Bergeron, you know, assuming you get him on a new contract, for the post-Bergeron years that now cut, now that next kind of 
stretch becomes Marshan's final years, the rest of Taylor Hall's contract, into McAvoy and Pasenak's primes, into Swayman's prime. Like, if you're keeping Swayman, you know, whatever, you know, we'll see. But, mm-hmm. um, but like, that is now that is a team that still has a chance that's going to be in contention and that you can work from and, and add to from there. Like, that that's a good foundation for the next, I don't know, five years. All right, guys, I think we solved it. Yeah. I think we did a good job here. I, I think, think we did. I think we, can, I think we can, you know, done. That's it. I mean, solved. We, might Problem as well call solved. it done. But it, it, we, make, we make it sound like it's... Get me Sweeney on the phone. <laughs> we, we, I we, thought Brian was texting out. <laughs> we, we make it sound, like, so easy, but, like, it kind of is. Like, you, you got to optimize this current window because it's the best chance you have. And if you can kill two birds with one stone, that's the way you got to do it. I mean, like, I don't know. I just, I feel like people are... They're so concerned about like we can't we can't give up Lysel we can't give up Laura. Well, look, you have to do something. You 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 cannot you cannot achieve what you're setting out to do right now without without that. And like and by the way, like you now I know you know any team, but like if you send one of the those prospects to Vancouver, I don't know that it's like come back to haunt you. I mean, they might have a good career, but like Vancouver's so poorly managed, like. They could they could suck for the next five to six seven eight years anyway. So yeah. you know, it's like it's not like you trade it's not like you're trading them in conference where ah uh, crap you know we might have to deal with Fabian Lysel sniping against us for the next however many years. Like, right. Yeah, it it hurts and you know like Laura is an interesting one where I almost feel like if you if a team really values him as like a blue chip prospect, that's yes, it would be great to eventually have him on your team because he would be. You know, like that left shot top four guy that you've been looking for, um, but that's almost like like found gold. Like you got him in the second round. No one really thought he was like a blue chip prospect. If if that's what he's become, and that's how teams value him. I mean, that's great. Like like at least now you have another option. At least now you have another prospect that's appealing to someone. And like, which is what you need. Like yeah, having great prospects is good for your team for the future if they end up playing for you but it's also good to have four trades like this when you are going for it because if you if you didn't have any prospects that are attempting on the teams now it's it's impossible to pull off any of these trades that we're talking about so and and, and I'm I'm not saying that like the Bruins need to get rid of all of them like I'm just saying you sh- if you're a Bruins fan you should come to grasp with the fact and come to you know peace with the fact that one of them will have to likely go if they because and, and and I know it sucks like Bridget myself Scott Bruins fans like none of us none of us want these players to go it's not our fault that the that the that the farm system is is shallow like that sucks it would be so much easier if if it was like well yeah see you later Lysel we still have seven other blue chips or that's not the case and we know that that's why it sucks but that doesn't change the cost of doing business at the deadline. Like teams aren't going to feel bad for you or, or or lessen the price of of a really Stanley Cup champion caliber asset because your system is is, is shallow. That's not how it works. And you know that that that's that's what I would say about that. It's it's a uh, it's unfortunate, but it's the Bruins' reality. And and it's like people always talk about well, the future, the future, the future. Why why is a cha- why is a potential championship five years from now? 
more important than a championship right now? It's not. I mean, you you don't want to get to a point where you've completely decimated yourself and now you have to go into, you know, full rebuild where you suck and you're in the basement and it takes years to build back. But I think as we've laid out, like, if you're doing it for the right player, if you're doing it for a a Miller who you have for at least one more year, possibly more beyond that, or a hurdle that you could potentially sign to an extension, then, like, you're you're not going to suck. You're not going to completely bottom out. Um you know, you're you're a team that is should be going for it now, uh, should have its eyes on winning over the next few years. And yeah, like personally I just I wouldn't be super worried about what five years from now looks like. Yes, you you have to be thinking about it. Obviously every decision any general general manager makes, you take into account both the present and the future. Obviously. Um but yeah, like I'm not to your point, like I'm not clinging to these guys because, hey, they might be really good four or five years from now when my number one goal is to try to win now while I still have Patrice Bergeron. Yeah, I think I mean, like I said, I think we solved the problem. I think we know I think we know what we're doing. Just get Sweeney on board. Everything will be fine. Yeah. Uh but I'll call uh, him we're up. we're like really we're already at about an hour, but you guys just—that's okay. To... They hear us once a week. Yeah, it's not a big deal. I, still I saw, think I saw one a... guy. I saw one guy. Oh, an hour is too long, buddy. We talk. We talk once a week, and uh, we're recapping an entire week's worth of stuff. Like, go listen to other podcasts. <laughs> and and Do I this care? is the one one thing that we were texting Plus, about this week. Look, and... we're getting like forty five feet of snow this weekend. Like, what you else? Got time, Sit guys? around, listen to the skate pod. You got time. <laughs> You can listen to this last segment about Tuka Rask and Linus Allmark. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, hot topic. Hot topic. Uh, the Bruins universe is, uh, you know, they're quite they're quite torn. What's, what's When the, haven't what's... they been torn about Tuka Rask? It took, guys, it took four games to get there. <laughs> well, it's, what's it fun? took four starts before we started debating whether wait, wait they made like a huge mistake by bringing wait him back. Wait a minute, wait a minute. How about this? How about this? How about the Montreal game when the, when the balcony's chanting, <laughs> we want to go to a week later against um, Anaheim. They're chanting, we want Swayman. Yeah. <laughs> Literally it took a week. Um, I can't wait for the we want Kaiser chant. I'm just waiting for that. <laughs> Uh, and they completely forgot that we have this other goalie named Linus Allmark. I know. Who, I know. Mr. by the way, deserved a much better fate uh, against yeah. Colorado on Wednesday because he made several great saves in that third period while the Bruins were hanging on for dear life. And the you know the tying goalie gives up. Not really anything you can do. Like cross scene pass, bang bang play. He's sprawled out. He's trying to get there, but yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I thought he was really good and deserved better. Team in front of him didn't didn't help him out enough. Uh, as far as Tuka goes, yeah, I mean, um, four starts, two of his starts, he's given up at least five goals. For reference, Swayman gave up five goals in one start out of his sixteen, but that's a total low blow and unfair comparison uh, because Tuka was literally out for eight months rehabbing a surgery. So I'm I'm just saying, in his four starts, two of them he gave up five goals. Um, not a huge deal. Like, was he rushed back? Yeah, possibly. Obviously, the Bruins wanted him to start in Providence. That was the original plan. Didn't happen for some, you know, classic 2022 reasons But uh, with COVID. But end of the day, the Bruins understand that they have, uh, you know, 
they have, they have their playoff spot. Like the t- Detroit's not catching them. They're like ten points back with four games more played than the Bruins. So like the Bruins understand that um, they have this leash, and I think that's why they're just u- using this time for Tuca. And if we're talking here a month from now and he still isn't playing very well, then there's a decision to be made. Yeah, and I understand. Like I think it's a good mindset for Tuca to have, and I understand why he said it. He said, you know. We don't have the luxury of just throwing me out there and having me figure it out. Like, we can't be throwing away games. Good mindset for him to have, but to your point, like, actually, they kind of do have that cushion. Like, they actually can kind of afford a couple slip-ups here. Um, You know, now, look, you want to be in the race for seeding, and you want to... Personally, I think seeding is not going to matter all that much in the East, to be completely honest. Like, I think you you look at the eight teams who are going to be in, and I think... Any of those eight could be, you know, looking like the hottest team by the time we get to the end of April. Like, I don't think there's any really super weak one among that bunch where it's like, oh, you need to get into this spot so you can face them. Like, mm-hmm. yes, yeah, sure, everyone would like to avoid the Lightning. But, I don't know, the Lightning could be first in your division, they could be second, they could be third. Like, yeah, Florida, Tampa, and Toronto are bunched together. I would yeah. say they're probably not going to be third but they could be they could. but i think they're going to be first or second they're climbing yeah. on toronto so but you know from bruce perspective it's like my point would be you know it's not like oh we have to get up to third so we can avoid first place tampa getting up to third might mean you're facing second place tampa like yeah so you know i don't think seating is going to be super important obviously if you can get home ice that is preferable but that that's an uphill fight uh i i don't think it's it's not a deal breaker having to go on the road. Like road teams win series every year. Um I think last year in the playoffs the road teams had better records overall. Yeah, probably. I thought I heard that. Um regardless, it is a lot it's a lot more fifty fifty than it ever used to be. Yeah. So you know, so so yeah, you you can afford to let Tuga play through this and he's gonna get uh the Bruins were off Thursday, so they haven't announced their starter for Friday night yet. Um Rask will start either Friday or Sunday. And, you know, so maybe one or two more starts before the All-Star break. And then, obviously, you know, come back from that. And Cassidy has said seven or eight games is sort of like the rough timetable for, you know, when they can really start to make a judgment on where he's at. Personally, I don't love that he's put any number on it, really, because now Mm -hmm. I feel like if you get to eight games and he's still working through stuff, people are going to be like, like, now you've given people ammo to yeah. say, okay, you said eight games, his eighth game just went, and he gave up four goals. Like, what are you going to do? It's been eight games. I wouldn't have put a number on it. I know Cassidy is always honest, sometimes too honest. I think that is probably, like, a number they've discussed internally in terms of, like, mm. yeah, let's get him to this point, and then we'll, you know, reevaluate. Um, so, yeah, so, he, I don't know, he's halfway there. Uh Give him a couple starts after the All Star break and see where he's at. Then everyone knew he was gonna. There was gonna be rust. Like, sorry, you don't go that long without playing with no ramp up other than practices, and just come in and you're great game in game out right away. It wasn't gonna happen. Um, I don't. I think like I don't think his movement has looked bad. He said he feels healthy. He said he feels good. All that stuff. Clearly, like the, I think the one thing he's struggling now, there was like the soft goal through the five hole. The one thing he's really struggling with is tracking. Mm-hmm. Like he, there have been a few goals where they would have been tough saves, 
but he looked like he didn't even like know where it was coming, like where it was. Like he didn't even react. And it's like you could, you might have been been able to see those shots and still gotten beat. But the whole like you know like his glove and blogger bolt down at his side, and there's like not even like a lift of the shoulder as the puck goes over his arm. That's like oh that's not good. Like that that means he didn't even see it. He wasn't even. He didn't even have it coming off the stick. Yeah, and that's when, I mean, it looks bad. So then you get the um, immediate reaction probably by people who are biased in the first place that, what the heck, like, what is Tuka doing? Like, he can't Mm. even track the puck. Um, My guess would be he starts uh, in Arizona. and then That's also a really nice game. That's a... Really nice bounce back spot. So that'll be um, tomorrow, which is Friday um, at Arizona. Another late game, a nine o'clock game, and then is it that Walmart. is it that Arizona State University? <laughs> Maybe. Not yet. <laughs> uh, Playing in front of thirty five hundred yeah, fans. Five thousand. Five thousand fans. Like, well, they'll, they'll probably get thirty five hundred. <laughs> oh right, right, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, and then Dallas would probably be an Allmark game, and then back in Boston. Another good game to get Raskin would be that first one in February, which is against Seattle. So that would be what I would do, and that's my guess about what they would they'd move through. Especially if they do have that deadline, like Scott said, like the eight-game deadline. Well, if he like can hold water, like keep his head above water with wins against Arizona and Seattle, which should be a little bit slightly easier wins, then you can say, oh, well, you know, he's still making a case for himself that he might be the starter whatnot i i just all i care about at the end of the day is that when the playoffs come around the best two goalies are on are on a team and that the the the, the hottest one is 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 in net because i would hate to be in a situation where like tuka comes back and he's playing more to to tuka standards not better than Allmark numbers wise but because he's tuka they go with tuka i just want I just want them to go with the best player. Which is what it felt like they did last year. Yeah, it was. Well, yeah, yeah, you're right. In the playoffs. A little bit. Um, That's all I can, that's all I think any of us can ask for is like, just don't, don't just put somebody in, in the most important times because of what their name is. Like, I just want, whether it's Swayman, Allmark, or Tuka, I just want the best goalie at the time to be in that for the Bruins in the playoffs. That's all I care about. Yeah, agreed. And, you know, and that's that, like, I'm all for giving Rask. If it takes more than eight games, then it takes more than eight games. Like, it can only benefit you to really find out what you have and to really give him a chance to get back to being himself and to work to work back towards top form. Now, if you get to a point where, I don't know if it's eight games, I don't know if it's 10, 12, like, I don't know what the actual number is, but if you get to a point where it's clear a month, a month and a half now that like it's just not coming back and for whatever reason he can't get there yeah now now you have that other conversation about is it time to bring Swayman up what do we do with Rask you know is he just here as a third goalie and you know veteran presence at practice like you know what is his role at that point you have that conversation later for now it's it's way too early like I heard there were hosts on both stations. I know Lou Merloni was on, on this here saying like, why do they bring him back? You know, what, like, is he even going to help them? And it's like, I just feel like it's, it's, it's too early to be on that down that road. Like it's too early to write it off. It's too early to say it was a mistake. The one thing but, you, the one thing you could say was a mistake was not getting him starts in Providence. I think that's fair. And I know that that was the plan. The games got postponed. 
He probably still should have started there. Uh, they did have three games. I mean, he, he made his Bruins debut on a Thursday night. Providence had three games the next three days after that, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Like, it wouldn't really have affected the timeline all that much to just get him down there that weekend. But, Scott, I can answer why, you know, shows on both stations said, oh, what the heck are they doing with Tuca? And that's because ratings. Uh, yeah, so, it gets reaction. Uh, no, I get it. Uh, they're not They're not going to like an, an, a level-headed Scott answer. Well, we're just going to give him a little bit more yeah. time, you know. Just give him a little more time. <laughs> I mean, I, I think I think the... The three hundreds chanting "We want Tuca," and then a week later chanting "We want Swayman." I think is just a microcosm of uh of his his relationship in Boston. The poor guy can't win for losing. And it does say something about Allmark too, who's just kind of like yeah, he's like oh. guys. Well, that had less. I, to do I'm it. here too. Yeah, I mean that. To be fair, like that was a game that was out of reach, and like it wasn't. I don't think people. I don't think Allmark took that personally. It was more no, about he, yeah. I don't it, think so either, but yeah. it's just like, okay, he's probably the goalie that's playing the best right now, and they're not chanting, we want Allmark. <laughs> they're, yeah. they're chanting for... Yeah, and by the way, since we're on the topic, uh, Swayman just had a rough start in Providence the other day where he gave up four goals. So, you know, it's... Well, that's going to happen if he's down there long enough. Yeah, exactly. But, but you know, I think there was this, there was this narrative at first, of like, well, Swayman's tearing it up in Providence. There was a clip that went semi-viral of him making a great save, which we know he's capable of. But it's like... Also a reminder that there's still stuff for him to work on down there, and it's not, you know, it's not like he's gone down there and just had great game after great game. Like, you know, he's capable of having a rough game too, just like every goal. Also a reminder that if he can, he shouldn't be untouchable if if partying with him can help you win a Stanley Cup. Like, no, I I don't think anybody really should be untouchable as as much as I like him in Lysel and Lorai, but not to jump back to that, but like, just like everybody just thinks like, I don't know, I don't want to get into it, but. I want swimming here long term. I'm just saying. See, I the more we talk about like you know we've been talking about prospects and swimming down in Providence. I want to have Mark Diver on again. Like it makes me just want to ask him because he oh, sure sees he it. It's like he sees it a lot more than we do with the pro with Providence and with the tracking the prospects and at some point later in the year i think we should have him back well, on because he gave us some good insight about vakaninen we still have questions about Stanico. we have questions about you know his feelings about the whole swayman situation we could get his opinion on and there's just you know a lot that's still left there to talk about well i thought jacob loco was a guy that would have had value for the bruins as a prospect in a, in a, in a package until we spoke to mark and he said that he uh, isn't even close to being NHL already. So we yeah, have heard by the briefly. Way, Logo also just suffered a long-term injury. Oh, how? I think which, he might be done for the year. Which I Mark believe, spoke so. to. He said he gets hurt a lot too. Yeah. Um. One last piece of NHL news we did briefly touch on the the that the Coyotes actually have like they are like in talks with Arizona State University for a temporary home for, for three or four years at a at a five thousand state of the art college hockey rink what are we doing here what are we, this is the national are hockey league are you surprised league. though like, I, it, are you completely surprised by the fact that they're like uh, at the point where I'm, they have to do that i'm not but to me they shouldn't be in arizona then <laughs> if they can't have a deal worked out to start setting to set the groundwork in writing for a new stadium and i guess like the one that's closest to possibly happening is like a deal in tempe um, which I, I believe is also where Arizona State is. Um, if you can't have something like in writing worked out by this summer, 
relocation should absolutely be on the board. Like, I'm sorry, but you can't go into a three to four year plan of playing at a college rank if you don't know that there's a new arena waiting for you on the other side of that. Like you you can't because what if you get to year two three of this and you still don't have a deal for a rank? Like, well, how 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 are they fulfilling the the the, the gate revenue? Uh, qualification to be a, to for to be an NHL franchise. It really doesn't seem like it. it there's something... Marshan is going to have so many chirps on social I mean, media. Talk, for them. talk about talk about yeah escrow problems. <laughs> like seriously, like you're not filling the basic requirements of being a professional National yeah. Hockey League team. Like I don't know. Like like how how does the Houston Coyotes sound? Or how, how does the Quebec City Coyotes sound? I was going to say get get them back up. Get, I mean get, Christ get Almighty, back up there in Quebec yeah. City. Like, I think I think Houston would be the most likely. I think it makes a lot of sense. There's, there's an arena. Ready, you know, the Toyota Center where the Rockets play, I know has been used for hockey in the past. As far as I know, is still adaptable to hockey. So, like, and that's a relatively new arena. So, like, there's your immediate solution. Houston's maybe the biggest market that the NHL isn't in right now. Yeah. Possibly. Um so that would make a lot of sense. And you wouldn't even have to do any realignment. Like, no. Arizona's already in the Central Division. Houston, even more center. So that that would all make sense. I mean, like, the branding could honestly say the same, too. Like, I don't know. I'm pretty sure Coyotes are, they, I think they inhabit oh, every we, single we state. we have freaking so. Coyotes here. No, I know we do, but, like, they, like they, there are Western Coyotes, too. But They try to, they, they try to, they've been trying to get my dog. It's very concerning. I they're, actually. They're, like, all over the place. True, yeah. true story. I actually, uh. In, came into a uh, into close contact with a with a coyote uh, a few weeks ago. It, I I didn't realize that they put on this like massive coat of fur in the winter time, so I thought it was a I thought it was a wolf. Um, but it was an eastern coyote. I looked it up online, and it was like ten feet from me. And I was in my car, that, thankfully, but he was looking at my headlights like fuck this. Um, so yeah. Uh, no, I I sorry not no, to no, no, cut no, no, your no. up coyote a thought off, but um, I brought like so. Away from here, besides doing the skate podcast, which, you know, takes up a lot of time. Of course. Uh, I'm a college hockey broadcaster, so I work in a lot of rinks that are, you know, that kind of caliber, 5,000 mm-hmm. seats, whatever, less sometimes. Uh, and sometimes it would, like, I can't help but, like, imagine what it would look like. I know it's a really stupid idea, but if it were to happen... That would be kind of like a cool atmosphere. Like, hundred percent, you'd be right on the game. Like some of the games that I get to do, it's because the broadcast booths aren't very far back. I'm like on top of the game, and like the fans are right there, right on top. Yeah. Like you go to say the like uh, Schneider Arena at Providence, yeah, um, someplace like that where you just kind of like right there. It's more of an intimate atmosphere. I think it sounds like fun, but I don't think it should happen. But I think yeah. if it yeah, does it, happen, it, it's, it's fun, like fun for a preseason game. Yeah, do an exhibition yeah. game. Yeah, like. that's it, true. It, visually, it like, would be cool. But, but just a total side, a Bruins game at Matthews would be awesome. That their original home. Yep. Formerly is that Northeastern Boston Arena? Yep. Yeah, Northeastern. That was, yeah. Bruins' first home way, way, way back in the day. I mean, and it, anyone who likes college hockey, goes to college hockey games, yeah. knows what I'm talking about. They know, like, you just, like, right there. Well, I, I think, I, think I, I tweeted, like, a few I hours also, ago. I also love Schneider Arena because if you're sitting in the corner, you can only see about two-thirds of the ice, so... I was sitting yeah. behind the bench the other day, so I worked there as a broadcaster for the PC hockey team, and I went as a fan once recently, 
and I was sitting directly behind the bench. I felt like I was coaching because they don't sell the tickets down there. So I just moved myself right there. And I was like on the bench with Nate Lehman. I'm like, this is what we're doing, guys. Like, <laughs> I mean, imagine imagine being a player for Arizona State, a D1 hockey team, and you're not even like the best hockey players on campus. Like Kessel's <laughs> just walking into a frat party post game. Like I said on, oh, that'd on be Twitter. so dangerous. There would be so many bad things. To come <laughs> and out and of that. any hot dogs in the air, a couple, a couple of cigarettes. Um, no, that, visually that'd be really cool to see for like a couple games. And but it's not, it's, it's, uh, it's not National Hockey League caliber, and that's just the fact of the matter. Um, one other p- final piece of uh, hockey news I wanted to get your opinion on was uh, after going one and eight or one and seven in their last eight games, the Oilers. They have won two actually, so now they're, they're they're three and seven in their last ten games. But the Oilers signed uh, Evander Kane, so I don't know if you had any thoughts on that. Uh, I, I guess, I guess if it's move. good, good luck to them. I mean, I guess if you're that if you're that desperate, Do- anything's possible. Doesn't address their biggest problem, which are clearly defense and goaltending. Adds so, another problem. Yeah, yeah. just just adds uh, more kindling that can potentially just completely blow up here. Um, I don't know. I don't know what that team is doing or where they go from here. Uh, yeah. I love that, like, you know, like people throwing out, like, Leon Dreisaitl trade rumors. It's it's getting close to being really ugly there. How, um, do you think, do you think McDavid and or Dreisaitl, um, request a trade before their contracts are close to expiring? Because... I mean, it's certainly possible. Like, how, how many different kinds of retools has that team tried and they all just fail spectacularly. With so many good high picks that they've had, and then they, they, it just never has come together. And by the way, I, I don't know how, maybe Brian, you could speak to this more. Uh, when you're McDavid and you're in Dreisaitl, and you're, you're on a team that at one point in the season had like promise and, you know, still probably in their head, they think that they're a playoff team sometime in the near future then you add this this person who has such an explosive personality and it seems like it's desperate and it almost feels like okay really we're willing to risk this blowing up uh and not trust what we already like what mcdavid and dry settle are doing like is this really the, the piece like it just seems like i wouldn't have been happy if i was in the locker room with that like learning that news I mean, I feel like those two players are so numb right now. Like, I, yeah. I, I don't even know, like, how... They're probably looking at Evander Kane and being like... Well, just one other thing you, know you have what? to deal with, I don't know, I mean, maybe. M- McDavid yeah. seemed to but, want him. Like, I think he seemed to be a driving force that helped push this to happening. Um, and when he was asked about in a press conference, I think this was last week, he basically said, like... He gave, like, a horrible answer. It was like... Well, if fans and media don't like it, then so what? And it's like, well, I don't know, man. Like, you're the captain, and he's had a bajillion off-the-ice issues. Like, And by the way, that's really yeah, short-sighted. Yeah, people, people are going to have questions about it. That's really short-sighted because who's to say that you're going to get along with him? You don't really know what he's going to do to, you know, maybe he messes with your teammate that you're close to. Maybe he does something to you. Maybe you find out something about him that you can't, like, support, and, and you just don't know yet. I, I think... I don't think McDavid and Drysaddle can do anything right in uh, in Edmonton. I, I I think that they they bear they bear the uh, the problems of that franchise because they are who they are, and at the same time, they're the only reason that that franchise has has won a game in the last 
five or six years, and yet they're the people that always get, they're the two that always get blamed by the media by just they're under a microscope. And I just think that even when things are going right for Edmonton, like they're probably pissed off and annoyed at the media and the coverage up there. So I think if Evander Kane can come, can come in and just like help out with some secondary scoring, I don't think McDavid and Drysaddle think he's the answer, but. I don't know. I I I just think that they're so discouraged. They're like, they're probably sitting there saying like, why? Like why? Why are we so bad defensively? Why yeah, do we and, have no secondary scoring? Maybe Kane's you know physicality and on ice attitude um, sparks something. You know, give the team a different look, a new attitude. Some you know some bring something, just some different element. Like it could help, but I, I'm with Bridget. I think it it just reeks of desperation more than anything. Where it's like. Well, things aren't going well, and our stars aren't happy, and you know, here's a guy we can add without trading anything away. So, I guess we'll add him. And here's a question because I just haven't been, I haven't heard about this. Maybe, maybe you guys have. He did he ever get vaccinated after he uh, had that suspension because of faking? I haven't been following it too closely. I'm not sure. So. Sorry, I was checking a text. What, what, was, what was the question? He wasn't listening to a <laughs> No, I wasn't. I said. Kane uh, was texting him saying, you, stop talking about me. You may or may not know this, but because it's kind of fallen out of the news, did did Kane ever get vaccinated And after I, after the whole like 20-whatever game suspension? I don't know if he got vaccinated. I do know that uh, he got cleared of the crossing the border issue that was lingering mm-hmm. out there that... The NHL was investigating. He got clear from that, so there's there's no other suspension coming. So once he officially signs, he you know he's able to start practicing and playing whenever he's ready, basically. Until he does something else, then he gets yeah, suspended again. Exactly. <laughs> well, all I know is that um, in the blink of an eye, Connor McDavid went from being 18 years old to 24, 25, and things are not looking up for Edmonton. So you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he if he demands some some sort of trade in the next year or two. Or dry settle because uh, they have no faith in that organization, and you cannot have not only the best players in the game today, generational talents not not in, in postseason action. And you know, to be fair, the times they have been in the it's postseason, they've done the shit. NHL. But it is not good. For no, the NHL but they at all. haven't. But they but they have not risen to the occasion when they have gone to the playoffs. Yeah, as but a team, no, but like but, imagine this. Imagine a situation where there McDavid is on a team that makes it to a Cup final against Sidney Crosby. Like back a few years ago, when McDavid was yeah. first coming in, and Crosby was, um, the Penguins were having so, so much success in the playoffs. That would have been great for the NHL, but nothing like that has happened. Well, the Penguins or, were much better at building a team around Crosby than they were McDavid. Yeah, or even getting get a Western Conference series between McDavid's Oilers and Eichel's Golden Knights, or the McDavid's Fugero's Oilers Flames. and McKinnon's Avalanche. Like, yeah. you know, get those head-to-head star power series, yep. like. You could have had him versus Matthews last year, and both of them choked. Both of their teams choked, you know, first and I mean, foremost. But the, the the Oilers had a matchup against the team in the in the Blackhawks a few years ago that if it was a regular season, wouldn't have made the playoffs. It was the it was the bubble where they got extended teams in, and they and they, they lost them in like four or five five games. So that's on them. But regardless, uh, we'll talk about more of the Oilers. Uh, never. Um, <laughs> I, uh, that that probably uh, wraps Until up. Until Evander Kane does something, then that's uh, at the end of the. Yeah. We'll have another segment at the end of a podcast sure. about it. Yeah, well, they don't play the Bruins again, but um, if he does something in general, then obviously, yeah. Uh, they got the Coyotes, I think, tomorrow night. Dallas, and then Seattle. 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 So we should be talking 
four or five days from now, but after three more games. And uh, Yeah, and that'll be a good spot, too, because that's the all-star break. So then there's a, a week off. Um, also, the Olympics starting then. Uh, you know, I think yeah. We can probably touch on that. Obviously not as much interest uh, with the NHL gone, but pl- mm-hmm. plenty of local connections. The, the, yeah. the, Ameri- the U.S. team actually on paper looks a little bit better than the Canadian team, if you ask me. Yeah, I, like... I, I mean, I'm excited for it. One because there are local connections, and two because it's a younger, mostly college-based team, which is what I had hoped I, that they were going to do in 2018. Yeah. And they only took like a few college guys: Greenway, and, Donato, yeah, uh, a couple then, others, maybe. Then they yeah. had some like has-beens from yeah. that. Like, hey, not you call to him Brian Gianta has-been? Not to be mean at all, but no, I'd much rather see college college guys playing. Yeah. Um, Nick Abrazizi from Harvard. That should be fun. Uh, Sean Fowle from Harvard, Mark McLaughlin and Drew Hellison from BC, Drew Camessa from McLaughlin. BU, hmm. Scott McLaughlin left wing. That's right. So would you say the U.S. roster is like eighty plus percent college players, and yeah, then like twenty percent? I think it's fifteen college players and eight non-college players. Yeah, there's oh. a few KHL guys there, like two guys that went to Yale, Agostino and O'Neill, um, formerly went to Yale. Kenny Agostino, yes, yeah, former Bruins great. I think he played five games. Yeah. Then he went to the the Leafs, right, or something like that. Yeah. Also, David, David Warsawski, Marshfield, BU. Oh yeah. Cup of coffee with the Bruins. Was he in that game against Cornell in '08, the uh, big comeback in the national championship game? Not Cornell. Miami. Sorry, Miami, Ohio. Yeah, yeah. He was a freshman that year. Yep. <laughs> yeah, and Baker Mayfield was on that team too. <laughs> <laughs> I think I should probably wrap it up because I'm losing my mind over here. Um, we all we all set. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you guys. I was at that game, by the way. Oh, you want to keep going? Let's keep going. Those are two teams I've worked for before. I've I've worked for both Miami, Ohio's um, hockey broadcasts and Providence's. That was still that's still my favorite game I've ever been to, especially as a fan. I was uh, I was in the BU student section for that game, and it was pure insanity. Was your was was your was your shirt off, painted in red and white, with with a B on your chest and a U on on your back? No, the person next to the other <laughs> No, you weren't. No, no. I, you put that picture in my head, Brad. That was the exclamation point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we're all set. Okay, let's wrap it up. We'll talk to you guys next week.